Uh, but it was a lot of fun, and I appreciate you guys um, cheering them on. And for those families that were part of that, thank you so much. Um, man, <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. It's fun to see you guys. Uh, Miss Sherry was getting after it. I don't know if y'all could hear all the things she was saying, but I think she felt a little overwhelmed there for a moment. Um, man. But we, we want our families, we want you to know that we love you and uh, we value you and so we're trying to break things up a little bit, have a little fun, and uh, hope you enjoy that. Uh, but as I said, today is Palm Sunday, um, and we, we want to celebrate a lot of things today. Um, one of the things I want to, to remind you of, if you enjoyed the fun that was had there, is that this coming Saturday at 2 p.m., we have an awesome day planned for your kids. I know Sarah and Jessica have worked very hard on that. There's going to be inflatables, there's going to be crafts, face painting, I think. I don't know, all kinds of great stuff for you and your kids to enjoy. So come and be a part of that Saturday. Uh, but this morning, we're going to actually look at the actual account of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. Um, scripture calls it, well, your, your Bible headings will call it the triumphant or triumphal entry. Uh, we celebrate it as Palm Sunday because of the palms that were laid out for Jesus. But over the last several weeks now, we've been looking at um, Jesus' final conversations here on earth with, with his disciples. Uh, it's been a series called Life Like Jesus. And, and really, we've been looking at ways that we can live more like Jesus, just as the name suggests. Uh, we've looked at the teachings from basically John 13 through John 16. And to this point, Jesus has taught his disciples uh, multiple times about humility and love and service and joy and trust. Uh, he has predicted his death and resurrection several times. And he's basically emphasizing uh, the truth that they need in order to follow him and, and try to prepare them for what's coming up. So this morning, we're going to look at several statements that Jesus makes during the last week of his earthly life. Really, the last, leading up to the last few hours. Um, and in the midst of, of these teachings, what we want to keep in mind, what we want to recognize, is that Jesus knew as he was writing in what that would lead to. As he approached Jerusalem on the donkey, he knew what he was claiming, he knew what was happening, and he knew all the events that were about to unfold. But all the while, he maintained a level of grace and confidence. And peace. And so we want to answer the question how is Jesus able to face death through painful spiritual and physical suffering, spiritual anguish, and still maintain an attitude and mindset of peace? So if you've got a Bible with you, open up to John chapter 12. And if you didn't check in and get an outline, I hope that you will go ahead and do that because there's a lot of questions that you're going to need to answer and fill in the blanks with your kids. Um, if you don't want to check in but still want the notes, you can text notes to that same phone number, 233-5080. But we're going to start in John chapter 12. All right, God's Word says, verse tw John 12, verse 12, the next day, and this is the day after he was anointed in Bethany where the lady came in and um, broke the bottle of expensive perfume and worshipped him at his feet. It says, the next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, 
they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. And we're going to dive into these scriptures. Father, I thank you so much uh, for the opportunity, God, just to be here. To be gathered with other believers and people who are seeking. To be able to sing songs of praise and lift up your name and exalt you. Just to know you, God. We praise you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one and only. We pray, God, that you move in this place today. I'm thankful for the laughter, uh, the fun that we're able to have, and just to celebrate families and celebrate you. And God, we pray that you move in this place today, that you, uh, your Holy Spirit would do your work and do your will, and we would leave here changed. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So now what I want you to do as a family or in a, a small group of friends or just even that by yourself if you want to, I want you to open to Matthew 21 or to Luke 19. If you're following along with the outline, you'll see that there are some, some blanks and some questions. So I want you to read a different account other than what we just read in John and then seek to answer those questions about um, what did the crowd do whenever Jesus was riding in? And what was the, what's the significance of this type of entry? And I'm going to give you about two minutes to do that. It might be a little awkward for some. We can do this. Y'all good with that? Yeah. So talk amongst yourselves. Read it out loud together. Make a little noise so it's not so awkward. And then in two minutes, I'll come back and we'll, we'll keep going. About 30 seconds left. This is for a grade. 
We have a formal protest over here about the timekeeping of things. But we'll, we'll go through it together, okay? So, the three things the crowd did, you guys can shout these out if you know them. First, they spread out cloaks, coats, and palm branches. Yes, they did that so that Jesus, uh, the donkey, was stepping just as you saw here on the stage, not stepping on the dirt. But stepping on their, their garments and the palm branches. What was the significance? Oh, wait, we missed one, too. They followed, they followed Jesus down the road. So they traveled with him as he was going on the donkey. They didn't just throw their cloaks down and walk away. They went with him into Jerusalem, and then they shouted, What? Hosanna. Hosanna. Anybody know what Hosanna means? Okay, that, it, it does praise God. It means, Oh, save. So they were shouting this, this exclamation of praise, asking for salvation. There's a lot of imagery, there's a lot of symbolism there. But the significance of this type of entry is that this is the entry of a king. If you read in 2 Kings 9.13, we see this happened one time before where they laid out the, the palm branches before they anointed this guy as king to symbol that, okay, this is our guy. We're, we're laying that. It's almost like rolling out the red carpet, something we'd be more familiar with. And they were signifying him as king. It was also prophesied where? Anybody look at the footnote there? Zechariah. It is Isaiah as well and Zechariah 9.9. 9. But remember, ultimately, Jesus is publicly claiming to be the Messiah, the King of Israel, the Savior of the world. And so these people are shouting their praise. They're acknowledging Jesus as King of Israel in a sense. They worship. They sing his praises. There's even that moment, that awkward conversation where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, hey, these people are worshiping you. What are you doing? We need to stop this. And Jesus says, wait a minute, I can't, even if I stop them, the rocks would crowd and worship me. So he's very publicly claiming, he's not talking in parables anymore, he's speaking very clearly about who he is and what he's claiming to be. He is claiming his messiahship, his kingship. But there's a problem. This crowd that celebrates Jesus was looking for an earthly kingdom. They wanted a militant leader who would come in and overthrow Rome and liberate Israel and set them back on the map as a powerful nation, God's nation, God's people. Uh, and they wanted a king that would serve their agenda and fulfill their desires. But that's not the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. I love the way that GotQuestions.org in an article about Palm Sunday puts this. It says, Jesus Christ comes not to conquer by force as, an, as earthly kings, but by love, grace, mercy, and his own sacrifice for his people. His is not a kingdom of armies and splendor, but of lowliness and servanthood. He conquers not nations, but hearts and minds. So Jesus came to establish a different kind of kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. So we know that the people would quickly turn on him. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. 
But this would ultimately lead to his crucifixion because Jesus didn't fit the agenda of the crowd. When Jesus didn't act the way they thought he should, when he didn't fulfill the desires that they had or establish the kingdom that they wanted, they quickly turned their backs on him and turned against him. So again, how did Jesus remain at peace? And furthermore, how would Jesus expect his disciples to remain at peace, knowing that all of this was going to unfold, knowing everything that was about to happen? He's been telling them, as we've read over the last few weeks, he's been telling them that he is leaving, that they can't go where he is going. He's told them that he would have to suffer at the hands of men and die. But he's also told them, don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. He's told them over and over again, I love you. You know the way to me. You know the way to the Father. You know the Father. So on one hand, there's all sorts of chaos and turmoil, the absence of peace in their circumstances. But in the very same moment, there's a sense of calmness and peace in Jesus' words and in his heart, the things he says and does. So I think the best place for us to understand how this peace is possible is to look at John 14 and look at three promises that Jesus makes within that text that help us understand how Jesus expected them and ultimately us to have peace. So flip over a few pages, pages to John chapter 14. And we'll start reading in verse 15. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So the first promise that Jesus makes, he promises Holy Spirit. He promises Holy Spirit. On your outline, there are several blanks for you to fill in about how God offers assurance of his presence to his people. And we're going to go through those quickly. But in Genesis, we understand and know and learn that he walked with who? Adam and Eve. We, he walked with Adam and Eve on a regular basis. Uh, in the book of Exodus, we learn that God led the Israelites by a pillar of cloud or smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. There wasn't anywhere that they went that his presence was not with them and represented to them as a pillar of, of smoke or cloud and fire. Just after this, Jesus sets up the, the whole temple worship, temple process, right? And it's understood that God's presence dwells over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place or the holy of holies in the temple. And then in the books of Deuteronomy and Joshua, God promises that he will not leave or abandon his people. That he will be with them. He will protect them. He will guide them. And all throughout Psalms and the writings of the prophets, we hear mentions and references to God being with his people. But there was never a more apparent representation of God than in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He was called Emmanuel, which means literally what? God with us. So you can understand that disciples might have been confused and a little upset and a little perplexed when Jesus began to tell them all these things. They've enjoyed his friendship 
his teaching. They watched his miracles and even been a part of those miracles at some point. They've been given that, given that authority firsthand. They, they've seen all of this firsthand. And so you can imagine that as Jesus begins to tell them, hey, I'm leaving, they've got a little bit of a problem. But he tells them, it's better if I leave. He says in John 16, 7, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Once again, we understand the promise of his presence through the Holy Spirit. So what could be better than Jesus being here in the building with us? The presence of God, his spirit all over the world in believers. See, we don't understand it that way. It's, it's a struggle for us, but that's literally what Jesus is telling them. No longer will there be a, a barrier between God and man. Everyone who places faith in Christ will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit within himself or herself. So those of you who are believers, you literally have the Spirit of God in you. That's why you can have confidence to overcome sin and overcome temptation and share the gospel with others and face whatever comes in this world because you have the presence and the power of God in you. This is what he is promising here. So we have peace because the Holy Spirit of God resides in those who believe. So think about a time when you felt alone, when you felt fearful, scared. Maybe as a child, you were facing a tough situation at school or home, or as an adult, maybe you lost a job or experienced a broken relationship, or maybe any of you have had something internal that you really couldn't tell anyone because you were fearful about what, what the repercussions of you opening your mouth and admitting to this would be. He needed a friend. Because that's the Holy Spirit for those who believe. He is the friend that's closer to the brother. He is the presence of God in us. For believers, the Holy Spirit is that friend and comforter who is there when no one else can be. And this gives us peace. If we continue reading in John 14, it says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and reveal myself to him. Secondly, he promises resurrection. Jesus promises resurrections. resurrection. Remember, the disciples were focused on the physical. They understood the presence of Jesus because he walked with them, talked with them, ate with them, did all those things with them. They were focused on the here and now. So they're confused and they're hurt when Jesus talks about leaving and dying. They don't see beyond the moment, the temporal. But Jesus knows that what he is about to do, what he is doing is eternal and spiritual. And it has those ramifications for them and the world. So he explains in verse 19. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. 
Now, certainly the disciples experienced this resurrection in a completely different way than us because they saw him physically resurrected. And they did all those things that they had done with him again. They ate with him. They talked with him. But guess what? We're included in that. Because I live, you will live too. Verse 19 is for us. It was for them and it is for us. Jesus promises that we will live again with him. So we have the promise of resurrection if we trust in Christ by faith. And this reality not only gave Jesus peace in the moment of these trials, but it gives us peace in the face of the world's worst consequence, which is death. This is the reason we can approach death without fear, because we know that death is not the end for the believer. Death is not a goodbye, it's a see you later, right? We know that those who believe in Jesus Christ will be raised again. The Bible, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to what? Be present with the Lord. So we get to transition from this earthly life into eternal life with Christ upon our death. And that gives us peace. We'll continue reading. Skip down to verse 27 of John chapter 14. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not won't talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. So the third thing that Jesus promises is ultimate peace. In these verses that we read, Jesus does a quick recap of all the bad things that are about to happen. He doesn't shy away from that, but then he also reminds them of his authority over Satan, over the enemy, over death and his power and the reasons that they should be at peace. Now there's probably a full sermon just right in there. But notice that Jesus does not promise worldly peace. That's not what he's offering here. He doesn't promise that life as a believer will be free of conflict and trials and troubles or temptations. In fact, he would go on to say in John 16, just moments before he would be betrayed, John 16, 33, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. The New Living Translation version says, you will have many trials and sorrows in this world. And Jesus is living through this in this moment. Jesus, as I said, knows all the things that are about to happen but he still maintains a level of peace, in, even though his life was in complete turmoil. He knew that one of his disciples is about to betray him. He knew that he would be falsely accused of all sorts of evil. He knew that his closest friends that he had walked with for three years would abandon him and leave him alone. That he would be beaten, mocked, spat upon, and ultimately die a death that he didn't even deserve. 
He knew. But he had peace. Friends, regardless of what the world says, or any feel-good, name it, claim it, no worries, cheap gospel preaching, celebrity, TikTok preacher tells you, believe me when I say, Jesus does not owe you or promise you a life of worldly peace and comfort and success. That's not the peace that Jesus has for us. But the peace that he offers is so much better. Jesus offers us peace with God. Think about that for a moment. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, 23, what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He goes on to tell us in Romans 6, 23, what? The wages of sin is death. And not just physical death, but eternal death. Separation from God for all eternity. That is the cost of your sin. But because of what Jesus is about to do and is doing and did do on the cross, we can be made right with God and have peace with God. We can be saved from his wrath towards sin. Romans 5, 8, 9. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. 1 John 1, 2 says, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10 says, This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the sin offering for our sin. Be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is what ultimate peace looks like. When you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. They are removed and cast aside as far as the east is from the west. And you are at peace with God. Jesus bore our sin and shame on the cross so that we would no longer be his enemies. He suffered in our place so that we could be made right with God and experience ultimate peace, peace with God. So what do we do with all this information? I want you to think back to the crowd for a moment. The crowd that welcomed Jesus in, that shouted Hosanna and celebrated their coming king. Not all of those people, but many of those people were the very same people who would shout crucify him just a few days later. Why? How did they get so tripped up? How did things change so drastically? John 12, 37 says it. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. They were so busy looking at what they could get from Jesus. They were so carried away by their own desires and trying to shape Jesus into what they wanted to be, into the king that they had hoped for, that they totally missed and didn't pay attention to who he actually was. 
they were so focused on the earthly, they missed the holy. They lived in turmoil because of their sin and unbelief. They had no peace because they had no relationship with God. I'll be honest, I wonder if there are a few of us in the room or online this morning. We're in the very same spot. You've expected that God's and a relationship with God would look this way. And you've asked God to do these things. And you've tried to shape him into a mold and something that you can handle or something that will allow you to continue in the lifestyle that you desire. And you're missing out on the beauty and the power of who Jesus really is. Friends, You want the peace of God, and you have to have peace with God. Peace with God leads to peace of God. Peace of God frees us to obey His will no matter what our circumstances. And that obedience leads to everlasting joy. As I said, this doesn't remove all of the difficult circumstances of life, this doesn't put you on a path to success and worldly riches. This lays out for you a lifestyle of godly peace where you can face those terrible diagnoses, the bad news from friends and family, and know it's going to be okay. God is with me. God will resurrect me. And I am at peace with God. This is the peace that God offers you today. And it's established whenever you turn from your sin, you repent, and you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation. You receive the Holy Spirit and peace with God that leads to peace of God. So we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation that if you need to come to this altar and receive Christ, I beg of you, don't leave here without doing If you need to pray about a situation that's causing turmoil and you need to lay that at Jesus' feet, come. If there's something totally different that God's working in your heart about, maybe you need to be baptized like we're about to celebrate in a moment. Come and let us know that you desire that. Whatever God is leading you to do, don't ignore him. Be obedient in this moment. Pray with him. Father, I love you and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are the source of peace. That we can turn to you when our life is in chaos and turmoil and it doesn't change our circumstances necessarily, but it can change our perspective. God, when we trust you, it changes everything. So I pray, God, that in this moment you would give us peace. You would allow those who are struggling, those who are carrying the weight of their sin, those who know they need to trust you, the courage and the boldness to come before you and lay those struggles down in your feet. I pray you would allow them to turn from their sin to repent and believe in the mighty name of Jesus and be changed forever. God, move in this place, in this moment, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now's your time.
time to respond, you come. You don't wait, you come as the Holy Spirit leads you.